Welcome back to Overtly Critical. I'm Ryan. And I'm Corwin. And this week we watched A Clockwork Orange, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, Adrian Corey, and Miriam Carlin. In A Clockwork Orange, young delinquent Alex, who with his droogs enjoy reckless crimes like rape, breaking and entering, speeding and violence, has his lifestyle catch up with him when he lands in jail, where he volunteers for an experimental government mental health treatment that has more effects than they were hoping for. So, A Clockwork Orange... Stanley Kubrick. This is my pick. I had seen it only once before. Uh, this is, besides 2001, the only Kubrick movie I had seen. And my first impressions, and when I rewatched it this time with, with all of you guys, is I think it's just, it's just in such an interesting movie to break down for a number of reasons. I think uh, just visually, uh, story-wise, uh, the kind of themes of the movie, it's really all there. And I think there's a lot to this movie to discuss, which is what I like so much about it. I had never seen this movie, but I've been a fan of uh, Kubrick's other work that I've seen, and uh, it is a classic for a reason. Um, it, it, it it's such a an intense story to me of this this character who you don't like, but you can't help but empathize with through right. the uh, through the experiences he goes through. This movie obviously is a pretty heavy movie. It's got a lot in it. It faced censorship at some stages. It's right up there with Natural Born Killers on, like, our list of the most, like, um, not family-friendly movies we've done. So, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit of a trigger warning if you don't... There, there's some unfun topics in here. It's uh, and it's also based off a novel, which I guess yeah. we should mention. Um, I'm, I'm actually not sure who the writer of the novel was, but the, the title's exactly the same. Um, there's actually some debate over what the title actually means a clockwork orange it kind of takes place in the future but it's it's not, not like far future this yeah. isn't like you know this isn't like blade runner or alien no. other movies we've talked about it's very near future sci-fi mm -hmm. the car that alex is driving he said is a 95 durango mm. so 94 it's filmed in or came out in 74 <laughs> so i guess that would make sense very um, heavily inspired by like the 60s 70s aesthetic the entire movie oh yeah um it's like with the colors and the things they're wearing the furniture the, the, the mise-en-scene for this movie is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. It's one of the most, like, detailed... There's so much detail put into the costume choices yeah. and sets. Yeah, um, when people think about this... this when people think about this movie, I think they don't necessarily think about the story. They think about Alex's costume. Yeah, which... Uh, uh, right. Uh, and the crazy sets, like, things like the milk bar, um, even, like, the homes of some of the people in the movie... It's uh, and that's just who Kubrick is. There's so much artwork on the walls in in every set. A lot of movies they have one and not the other. This movie gives you a lot to look at, but it gives you a lot to think about. Um, and as we can, I guess, talk about more in spoilers. The structure is a little strange, but um, the movie kind of shifts from this very sci-fi thing to a more or not very sci-fi, but a kind of a sci-fi thing to more of like a very. Uh, prison institutionalized kind of movie it's kind of almost 1984 like with its dystopia sure very very long first act yeah. um but it's it's very engaging all the way and it, oh, yeah. it's required to set up this character and fully understand yeah and it is based off of the novel which was divided into three i think equal parts and the movie's based uh, broken up into like 45 minutes of equal parts pretty much don't yell, so. us, uh, yell at us if we uh, didn't do our research enough on the book we're right we apologize alex is this troubled youth he's got these uh these droogs he calls them which is you know his kind of friends and they kind of go on these crime sprees all the time and he's their leader which mm. i'll let you say your point but i think an interesting thing for me was that this is a world that very much uh 
at least Alex doesn't care about order, about like anything. He'll commit all these crimes, he'll do whatever he wants, but he does care about his Drews listening to him, and he wants order in his group. It's established very early on that he is totally into this this rape and this um this assault and robbery that they commit. Yeah. All, all while listening to to the the works of good old good old Ludwig van Beethoven. Um, which is a very important part of the movie, the music in this movie. He never even says his last name, Beethoven. He's like, Ludwig van. That's true. I don't know if he ever really <laughs> it's said weird. Beethoven. He uh, probably does. I'm but, pretty sure uh, he masturbated in that scene when he played his music. I think he was, too. Um, <laughs> they didn't show that. I, it, it, it's very subtle, but he's got a little bit of the... I think the movie in general uses really good ironic use of, like, classical music. There's a mm. lot of, like, classical songs. They're very, like, you know, what people would call, like, these you know, beautiful songs that are played over, you know, very violent things. Singing in the Rain is a great example, but there's a lot of other examples. And he kind of, like, established himself again as, like, a leader because he, like, cuts one of their pans. Yeah, he, there's a scene where he, like, he beats the crap out of them after um, uh, they come to his house and are like, uh, we didn't see you today because he was kind of uh, just fucking off. Um, he met, the, he met the girls. And he, he did. He, 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 he met some girls at a record shop. Uh, has the, uh, the 28... Minute sped up sex scene. Humps like them. a rabbit. L- yep. They're led into this house by being like, oh, my friend needs help. They break in, and then there's this uh, guy in a wheelchair who's typing away, and then they go in and they... Probably, oh, he, probably the most iconic scene of the movie. So they kind of just tip him over, and he has to watch them rape his wife. He's actually not crippled at that point. Is he? No. Um, he doesn't get crippled until after they beat him up and uh, rape his wife. Um he uh I thought because he, he describes he got like paralyzed. He's just like old and they kinda just hold him down. Anyway, so then they do they commit another crime for this like weird cat lady, um, where they kinda do the same thing and they break in, except only Alex uh goes in there and Cat know, Lady puts up a little more of a fight and Yes she uh, does. He ends up killing her with a Big ceramic dick. Dick, dick statue. But it's yeah. got it's like a dick butt. His drugs kind of set him up pretty much. Like, whatever, we're going to run. And they just, I think they hit him with a bottle of milk. And it, like, gets him in the eye. The cops catch him. In her house, she's got all these uh, paintings of women with their legs spread open. And she's got the penis statue. Um, but you also get that in Alex's room and in the milk bar. At first, I thought they were trying to make, like, a connection just between Alex and the drugs about um, sex and how they see women. But... Yep. It's clearly not just them in this society. It's just a weird world. So I, I was thinking, like, is this a world that's more sexually liberated? And does that feed into how this, like, you know, all these um, gangs are just like, kind of committing rampant rape of and women? There's there's even stuff. I know it's, like, it's graffiti, but there's even, like, the whole, like, the mural, the mural where they vandalized. they put a bunch of dicks and dick sucking mm-hmm. on that thing. With the shadow of the guy. And like, that's it's a great. great shot. The prison stuff isn't super eventful, but there is a couple cool points. Basically... Even the prison he's in, this new it's kind of a futuristic world where they're more on reform as a thing, and it's very religious. And he meets this religious leader, and the one of the notes I kept, which is I think one of the cooler things about the movie, is they're teaching him the Bible. But he's misinterpreting the Bible because he sees himself as the evil people <clears throat> in the Bible. He sees himself whipping Jesus. He has and, absolutely no desire to reform. No, he, he signs up for this treatment entirely as a way to get out of prison right. faster so he can get back to doing evil deeds. Right. And part of the point of this movie is that it's not really reform, it's control. And I think um, yes. there is this um, theme in the movie of like the, the church and the state because the priest is the one who warns Alex against his treatment and says, yep. you know, a man has to be able to choose or he's not a man. And there's a really great shot 
near the end of his treatment where he's sitting there after he's done a demonstration uh, after his like therapy where the leader of the therapy has one hand on his shoulder and the priest mm -hmm. has the other hand on his shoulder and I don't want to jump too ahead but to me that that to me felt like it's representing how he is a subject and there's all these controlling forces that are pushed upon Alex yes um but I don't want to get too ahead so anyway he's in prison and through a bunch of news of this new treatment he volunteers himself for this treatment some kind of uh drugs they're injected into his system and also forcing him to watch this um these horrific images of violence and rape ultra violence right. it's called in the movie they show him like uh triumph of the will yeah. all while playing this classical music he loves right. for anybody that knows anything about psychology i'm not very qualified they're basically doing pavlov association therapy where you can get the dog to drool uh, just by ringing a bell. So they're kind of, they're associating these uh, things that he usually likes, which is, you know, violence and these things with painful experiences. Um, and, uh, yeah, I also wasn't sure if this was supposed to be a commentary on, like, movie subliminal messaging at all. Because to me which it's... Which is a myth that never really happened, but every right. psychology teacher likes right. to say it did. Which is very ironic, because I think a lot of people might accuse this movie of doing that to people. It's actually a very iconic part of the movie that doesn't last super long. And then he's kind of out of it. And then we get to that point where he does that demonstration, mm. where... Where he literally, uh, yeah. sim symbolically and literally licks the boot of uh, the <laughs> government. I just, I love that scene. It's great. Yeah. They condition him to be sick. Mm. by violence and sex and all these things that he used to be okay with he gets this like you know choking mm. cough the third part of the movie is kind of i think the coolest but most mysterious to me where i essentially called it um karma the movie where he gets his ass kicked yeah. by all the people who he fucked right. over so they do this new kind of modern form of reform that's not punishing alex but trying to change him and then he goes back to the real world where he just gets punished by everybody Mm -hmm. It's it's a great bit of irony in the story. He doesn't really regret the things he's done. He's just physically unable to do them. Yeah. And also, society doesn't forgive him. It doesn't work because he goes to his family, and they've like basically kind of adopted a new son in the form yeah. of a tenant. He's been replaced with them pretty much. Uh, so and he's lost all his stuff because the government takes all of his things for. Uh, I think basically reparations for uh, the people he fucked over. Yeah. Um, the homeless people who they beat up in like the first real scene of the movie, they beat him up, and then he's saved by the cops, yeah. who are the other droogs from his gang, right. who then basically try to kill him and fail mm -hmm. uh, by, in a really horrific scene, waterboarding him. The reformers in the movie, um, they don't care really about free will, they care about programming people. Uh, the, I think the scariest part of the movie comes in the very end, because what they do is kind of just another display of their power and how powerless Alex and other individuals are. They bring him to a hospital where they unprogram him, as they think at least. There was public backlash, so we we fixed what we did to you. It's it's really messed up. The, the end of the end of the movie, um, after uh, after he uh, he tries to kill himself because the 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 husband of the woman he raped in the beginning more karma figures out it's him he goes to his house after they drown him the, the other droogs try and kill him um and then with beefy boy austin yeah, powers he just recognizes alex as the person they rehabilitated but he doesn't remind him because they were wearing masks and then when he's up in a bath singing singing in the rain we get this gray shot the husband going through like a, a panic attack as he realizes who it is i think there's a shot in the shining like that too he brings in like these other kind of political figures because at this point we learn that this guy's like 
a bit of a political activist who is against the current administration. Yeah. Um, and and what they, the kind of people that the, that the guy who did the treatment mm-hmm. to him is like, oh, this is we're getting backlash for this treatment. He's one of those people. Yeah. And what they try to use Alex for is they basically try to get Alex to kill himself to say that this um, this treatment doesn't work and it's inhumane. Right. And at first it works. And we get all the this montage of all of these like magazines like calling it inhumane and newspaper right. articles. And that's what prompts the Minister of the Interior to visit Alex in the hospital to deprogram him. It's Beethoven again. Yeah. And then we get a final shot of Alex picturing like this this kind of like orgy in the snow. And he says, uh, I was cured all right. And that's yeah. where it ends. This is a Stanley Kubrick movie. We've already discussed costumes and maison scene and the sets. That's all important. I think the, the biggest things I notice about the the look of the movie is I think better than anybody uh, Stanley Kubrick uses wide angle lenses really well um, and also everybody knows he's famous for center framing everything he likes uh, visual symmetry and it's it's really trippy sometimes like like the shot you just mentioned of like the husband like looking down it's it's a very weird you mm-hmm. know globe kind of looking trippy shot like the scene of the lady the cat lady she's like doing her yoga that's that's a center frame shot when he moves the camera he likes to do a lot of like lateral movements because I think he he almost kind of I mean there is depth in his images but I think he views things as more of like a 2D painting uh, mm. just the look of them or, sort of that whole idea of every frame is a painting in a movie. Isn't he the guy that said that? The way some of the shots feel wacky. Like, even some of the framing traditionally would be weird. Like, there's one scene with the cat lady in her room where her headroom is off, but it's because he's using the geometry of, like, the ceiling to frame the shot. It's just very interesting. He, he's, you know? I think something he does in his uh, movies, and it's very evident in this movie, is he doesn't just put the emphasis on the actors. He puts the emphasis on the entire space they're in yeah. <clears throat> because he uses that space to tell a story, too. Best example to me is the opening shot of the milk bar. That just The concept of the milk bar is so weird. They literally, they're drinking like this drugged up milk that is served from these statues of naked women, like literally out of their, their breast. And you know, they, like the chairs and the tables are these these naked women statues. And it's just like- It's so casual too. But it doesn't only like give us this feeling of like how these, the droogs see women as like objects that they can, you know, control and abuse, but also they're drinking milk, and there's other parts in this movie where you really get the idea that these are still, you know, adolescents. They're teenagers. They're not full adults. Yeah. It's a little disturbing, honestly. It's not just naked women. There's a lot of penises in the movie, dude. A lot of <laughs> dick The art. costumes reinforce this, too. The nose mask, the cod pieces they're wearing, Yeah, it, it's masterful. Welcome to The Sounds of a Clockwork Orange with Dan. Immediately from the title music, you know that this film is going to be dangerous. Theme is creepy throws yourself off and for you know the opening when it just shows you colors you don't really expect that sort of thing without music so it's a good thing they put that in there portraying singing in the rain the song itself is a way for people who sing it to feel sort of uplifted my theory as to why the men are singing it is because well they're madmen they're mentally insane or whatever you want to call it and use this song to both a torture their victims and be in a sense to maybe relieve themselves of any guilt so when the men are in the milk bar uh theme changes very fast to a very very sinister tone uh showing sort of what kind of people they are and in that same scene uh there is a constant like going on in the background going constantly up and down phasing out of time and back into time 
with the rest of the scene, makes it seem more like a mystical sense. But in our case, it's like a mystical evil. Playing the William Tell Overture over the five times fast sex scene, to me and to us, that was very funny. The scene uh, with the cat lady and all the cats around that house, the penis statue and the rocks, the tone inside the house is calm and quiet, especially when she's on the phone. The tone changes instantly to a dark theme about five seconds before the back door is opened and Alex breaks into the house. Uh, okay, so the box room in the prison. The box room in the prison, where I assume that's where the, all the valuables are stored once an inmate is sentenced and put in, actually gives me sort of a vibe like full metal jacket when like the the warden is screaming in the prisoner's face it's the echo in the room that just makes you more sure that you're in like a cement area somewhere where sound can reflect off and probably in a place more sinister my assumption is that that was recorded with an omni mic and it was most likely 12 feet away from whoever was talking either behind the camera or on the other side of the room where the camera couldn't see. The two police officers, when they're hitting him with the batons, there's a certain point I'm, I kind of picked up, and that is, while Alex and their voices are regular, the baton hits have been reverbed. Flashbacks normally are spooky and have sort of a reverb on most, if not all, elements in them to show that they're either far away or that it's like a past event, something like that. I, I have a feeling that each one of those baton hits while hitting him was triggering some sort of past traumatic event in his mind. It's just a really cool concept I thought of. All right, this has been The Sounds of a Clockwork Orange with Dan. I'll see you next time. So I guess my, my lesson that I learned from this, we kind of just touched on this, but I just said um, how the combination of, of camera blocking, architecture, uh, how they can all make a distinct memorable style. Uh, for your world and I think that this movie just nuts. It's so fun to look at every shot in the movie um, There's just so much attention to detail and how he shoots it and the lenses uses everything it all just comes together It makes such a memorable Like this is a Kubrick movie. You can't look at this and say oh that anybody else shot that it's so uniquely him this movie the music is not only so perfect to what this movie is about like this this grand operatic story and also this like juxtaposition of that with these horrible scenes but it's literally a plot point of yes. taking this this music and corrupting it in alex's brain to make him hate it. It, right. it, it it's incredible i've never seen a movie that uses music like this i mean there's great scores like for star wars lord of the rings um Interstellar, personal favorite of mine, that have great scores that tell a story in their own right, but I've never seen a movie that really uses its score like this movie does. Hey guys, this episode of Funny Notes is brought to you by Sex. The title of this is How the F*** Can an Orange Be a Clock? <laughs> How? The home of whores. Milky time. <laughs> Americans won't understand driving. Oh, what the, oh my. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Stand thing. <laughs> Who is, what? <laughs> Who is sitting? Oh. Stand pissing. Oh, fuck oh. you, fuck you, don't stand. stand. Can the main character stop being Ryan? Then I think it's nudies. Serious, S-E-R.
should I? Why did I put an E? British hose, no dental health care. <laughs> <laughs> some women like straight, some like flaccid. Oh my gosh. So much jealous. Boris Johnson, pervert. <laughs> Where? Where? In the prison. It does look like Boris Johnson, holy shit. Um, ass enhancer drugs. <laughs> this has been sex notes. Goodbye. Hey guys, Gregory's not here, but uh, I've realized uh, the the note that I was saying. Can the main character stop being Ryan? Yeah, Ryan scratches his his butt in the morning, and I have all we see it every goddamn morning. It is time to pick our movie for next week. Are we gonna pick one of mine for the fourth time in a row? Who knows? So. I'm technically picking this week, so you can scramble the mm -hmm. order of the boxes however you want. Do it, sure. do it, and then I'll do it on camera. Hope that that mic's picking up all that scraping on the table. That's one. That's four. I'll pick one. Okie dokie, artichoke. I'm starting to feel bad. If I pick one of my movies, I'm gonna feel really bad. Please pick something I don't want to watch. That's one of your movies. <laughs> I'll go with this one. Drum roll, please. We are watching. A Simple Plan. Directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bill Paxton, um, Billy, Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton, and Bridget Fonda. This is a really good one, and I'm excited to talk about this. We're going to be back with A Simple Plan next week, so until then, we will see you. See you next time. Yeah, wave. Wave, everybody. Bye.